Recording live from the Hoban Law Group here in Denver, Colorado, I'm your host, Eric Singular. We're sitting alongside president and founder of the Hoban Law Group, Bob Hoban. Today we are talking about setting up your canna business from a tax perspective, and we are joined by counsel to the Hoban Law Group, Dion Kellier. Dion, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Tell us, uh, how are you holding up in Florida um, amidst all of this chaos? I am holding up. I've actually been working because I'm part of the essential services. Um, the only the difference in my life is that I have to cook every day, which I hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we definitely uh, <laughs> definitely been cooking a lot more in our household as well. Um, but we're we're glad to hear that you're you're holding up pretty well. Um, so let let's kick off with this. I'm wondering, are uh, are Florida Canna businesses eligible for economic assistance at the state level? We've seen, um, you know, that that businesses, especially marijuana businesses, are not eligible for the federal stimulus dollars. What about in the state of Florida? Unfortunately, we don't know that answer yet. I would presume that they may be, but Florida has its own issues in regards to canna businesses, anyways, because they're still in a vertical integration fight right now. So there's a vertical integration fight, and then there's also a fight in the courts that uh, caps the number of licenses that should have been given. So at one point, there was it was kind of like at a standstill of 14 licenses, but as of April of last year, I want to say there were 21 licenses given but 22 approved, and there there's many lawsuits trying to open that door so other people can come in. Yeah. Why is it that Florida, as it, this is a general rule, has just had so many challenges with its cannabis commercialization? Is it politically driven? Is it citizen driven? Is it just because the industry can't get its act together? What, what's just a, a simple way to describe to the, the people that are listening to this why Florida has just had such a uh, circuitous path to get us here? Well... You know, Florida is its own animal. We see every election. We kind of do what our own thing. And so I think it's politically driven. And I think that, you know, there are people that have, I feel like lobbyists run the world. And so the businesses, the cannabis businesses that have already received licenses have very good lobbyists. And the ones that haven't received licenses, it's not that they don't have good lobbyists. They just don't have the connections that the other ones have. So now it's going to be more of a court fight and an interpretation of what the law that was passed by the voters. I definitely think it's going to be something that's going to become a hot topic again about November. Every election cycle, it becomes a really hot topic. And then over these, you know, the two years that nothing, that there are no elections, then it kind of cools down and then it kind of catches fire again. So I definitely think it's politically motivated. You know, you, we saw at the beginning of March, maybe the second week of March, California put up its numbers for tax revenue uh, from the commercial regulated cannabis industry from 2019. And they estimated it to be a little over $2 billion. Of course, California has 40 plus million people. Uh, Colorado has 
a lot less than that, I'd say, about uh, maybe a sixth of that population, if not a seventh of that population. And then it was over a billion dollars consistently for the last several years. Florida's got 21 million people. Does that enter into the discussion at all? The tax revenue, if this was just done properly, that we could look at at least a billion dollars in revenue that can be drawn for tax purposes by governments across the state of Florida? Or is that not really the focus? Because it just seems to me as an outsider that Florida overthinks. We have a cannabis (laughs) program, but you're not allowed to smoke it. So you had to sue to get it so that could be a smokable product. And now it's sort of driven towards this medical model. And there's been some successful, marginally successful campaigns towards adult use regulation and, 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 and legalization there. But, of course, those haven't moved forward, you know, in a significant manner that we've seen these, these vast revenues. So what, what gives? So I think, okay, I think that Governor DeSantos is a very pro-cannabis governor. I don't believe that the governors before him were as pro-cannabis. So he is making strides in pushing this along. Our, uh, our governor of Ag- our agriculture, Governor Nikki Fried, she is also very well versed in what's going on, and she's trying to implement regulations. So I feel like they may be having uh, internal battles because you know. He wants it one way, but she is the Commission of Agriculture, so she wants it another way, which I'm pretty sure she has models that supports the way that she wants it. And so I really think that our governing officials need to put their self-interest aside and do what is best for the people, because bringing in $2 billion to this state, $1 billion you know, to this state, I feel like would help us in so many ways. So I really think that I definitely know what's politically driven. And I think that they just need to put that aside and just get this moving. Like we need to see that the bottom line is the money that we'll receive. Like I, you know, I moved to Colorado for two years and I know that Colorado is at least five years ahead of Florida, probably now seven years ahead of Florida. So I don't even anticipate us getting, you see how smoothly things run in Colorado. I don't, anticipate that happening until I'm like, I have grandchildren. Now, you mentioned your, your agricultural commissioner, Nikki, Nikki Fried. Uh, yes. It's my understanding, or at least I've read, that she's, you know, she's part of the, the Cannabis Florida power couple. She, isn't she engaged to uh, someone who's a, a major player in the marijuana industry in, in Florida, or, or is, that, is that just hearsay? No, I believe she is. And I actually, I've known her because she used to be a um, – foreclosure defense attorney and I used to work for the banks for foreclosure so we've had you know interactions with each other I think she's very fair so I think while she may have you know her fiance may be involved in this and I'm not necessarily sure to what extent I know that she's a very fair person through my personal dealings with her so, so let's let's talk a little bit about your your specialty, your your area of expertise, where you you've helped our clients in, in so many different ways, and that's uh, related to taxation, and particularly federal taxation. And of course, it's not always a pretty picture. Now, when you look at taxation, you think of the coronavirus. At least we've got some relief in terms of when we have to file. 
does the extension that that that's automatic does that help hurt or just not impact cannabis business businesses at all uh, in this climate in this climate? I don't necessarily think that it helps cannabis businesses at all. I don't think it impacts cannabis businesses at all because we know that this is a federal program. So there are there are two there are two sectors of the program that have to deal with the state that may benefit cannabis businesses, but overall this was not designed to help any cannabis businesses. So it does not help us. We just have more they we just basically have more time to put our paperwork together and send in, you know, find out what the damage is. Sure, sure. So so generally speaking, uh, taxation at the federal level is very difficult for cannabis businesses because of something called 280E, among other things. So can you talk a little bit about 280E and its impact on this industry, maybe even how that, that intersects with the stimulus package benefits? Because I, I think a lot of people have heard about 280E. Uh, and most operators in the industry understand it intimately, unfortunately, all too well. Can you give our listeners a little little perspective on what 280E is, and, and does that have a bearing at all on these stimulus benefits? Okay, absolutely, no problem. So, IRS Code 280E says that no deduction or credit shall be allowed for any amount paid or incurred during a taxable year in the carrying on of any trade or business if such trade or business or the activities which comprise such trade or business consist of trafficking in controlled substances within the meaning of Schedule 1 and Schedule 2 of the Controlled Substances Act, which is prohibited by federal law or the law of any state in which such trade or business is conducted. So basically, marijuana is considered right now a Schedule 1 drug, and anyone who is selling it, whether it's legal on the state level or not, it's still federally illegal. So... The Congress has been given the power to grow, to tax gross income. Gross income, basically, they don't care the source that it comes from. So if you have gross income from an illegal source, it doesn't matter. If any compensation for services, including fees, commissions, fringe benefits, gross income derived from any business, gains derived from dealings in um, property, just basically any gains that you received while engaging in a business. And the connection between the IRS Code uh, 61, which is the gross income, and um, medical marijuana businesses is that while a medical marijuana business may be illegal under federal law, it's still obligated to pay tax on its taxable income. And the IRS does not differentiate between uh, what's legal and what's illegal as far as when it's time to collect their uh, percentages. This IRS code comes from a case in 1981, which is Edmondson versus Commissioner. And not necessarily to get into the details of that case, but Mr. Edmondson, he trafficked in drugs, marijuana, uh, cocaine, methamphetamines, and he was given a notice of deficiency, which is basically from the IRS saying that, hey, you made this amount of money and you either didn't say that you made this amount of money or this is the amount of tax that you need to pay on this amount of money that you made. So Mr. Edmondson, he said it was his home business and he made all, he took all of the, the deductions that a normal business would take. So he deducted the cost of scales, he, did, he did, uh, deducted the cost of baggies, telephone expenses, the part of his rent that was attributable to his quote unquote office space. 
And so he got a favorable result at that time in 1981. But in 1982, Congress enacted um, IRS Code 280E, which reversed the holding in Edmondson as it related to deductions other than the cost of goods sold for controlled substances. So, so Dion, if I was to, sorry, if I was to start setting up a cannabis business today, what are the different company structures that I could choose, and what are the different factors that I would need to weigh to make the best decision for my company? Okay. There are traditional corporations, there are limited liability companies or partnerships or pass-through entities, which includes an X corporation. So with a traditional corporation, they're taxed twice. They're taxed at 21% flat rate when the income comes in to the corporation, and then the highest tax rate for when the dividends are, when a qualified dividend is distributed to a shareholder is 20%. So basically, a corporation has two levels of tax. Whereas a limited liability company or a partnership or any pass-through entity, there is no tax at the entity level. So when the income comes into the uh, LLC or the partnership, because LLCs are taxed like, traditional LLCs are taxed like partnerships. So when the income comes into the LLC, then it's distributed to the members based on the membership percentage. And then that individual is taxed at their individual tax rate. And then there's S corporation, which is, it gives you the ability, well, S corporation is only taxed one. So you have the ability to be taxed as a partnership, but you don't have the corporate protection. So it's kind of like a hybrid of an LLC and a corporation. And then there's, you know, other structures which I like personally, which is actually the LLC tax as a corporation. And the reason why I like that is because with an LLC, a traditional LLC, you could determine ownership percentages and they don't necessarily have to match, uh, you know, the, the financials contributed. And with an LLC as a corporation, you could get the corporate protection. You will be taxed twice, but you can also determine the ownership percentages, percentages and it doesn't have to match the financials like if i uh if i gave 50 percent and you gave 50 percent of the funds i could still be a 30 percent owner and you could be a 70 percent owner and that's how the um funds would be distributed well and these are such important issues for anybody who's setting up a business to think about but especially for cannabis business owners uh, i'm wondering if we go back to kind of what is going on in florida really fast you know, we've seen cannabis businesses labeled as essential services. Is that something that you've seen in Florida as well? And what does that kind of look like from a patient perspective as well? Yes. Yeah, so uh, cannabis medical, because med we only have medical right now, they are considered an essential business. So anything in healthcare is considered an essential business and they're open. And But they have delivery. So like in Florida, it's a vertical integration. So if you, from, if you plant it, you plant it to being the delivery driver. So or whether you get with a business, like you do a joint venture, but it's all a part of the same structure. So cannabis business, well, medical marijuana is an essential business because it's just like medicine. Well, and you know, uh, go ahead, Eric. Uh, go ahead with your question. Well, you talked earlier about the, the, the vertical integration in Florida, and I, I know, you know, it definitely is a, uh, a point of contention. 
what do you think uh, it would take to really get past that obstacle? So right now it's in the, uh, I think it went through the appellate court or it's waiting there. It's in process right now, but ultimately I think that vertical integration is going to be scrapped because that was not a part of the language when the voters approved medical marijuana. They didn't say, and there has to be vertical integration. There was just somebody interpreted it that way, which I'm pretty sure it was somebody that possibly had a financial interest. And so I think it's going to go away. Because in my opinion, and especially being in Denver, I saw this, one person cannot be efficient at everything. So you need to have the people that are efficient at what they're efficient at do that job. Like just transporting alone, dispatching that, planting the roots, and I, that, that is an animal within itself. So I just don't, I feel like you're doing yourself a disservice if a person that is only good with logistics, if that person now is also running a dispensary. I just don't think that's good business. Well, yeah, thank, thanks for, for that rundown. Now, when you talk about Florida and you talk about, to your point, medical cannabis, um, you know, medical cannabis was, was lobbied to be introduced in Florida. And, and a lot of that was persuading the folks in Tallahassee that this really was medicine. And of course, what led us to that point, uh, a great influencer there was the CBD dominant strain known as Charlotte's Web. And of course, uh, young Charlotte who passed away yesterday complications yeah. from the coronavirus. So is, is that is that just another part of her legacy, the fact that she was able to go into a state, her family, and show folks? I know that, that Charlotte's mother was, was so active in Florida, uh, in addition to a number of other states. From your perspective, sitting back and watching this unfold, um, how influential was Charlotte and her family in uh, just turning, changing the minds of these legislators in Tallahassee from the regulatory uh, enactment stage of medical marijuana? I think she was so important because I think that prior to actually seeing this young child that is actually being helped by medical marijuana, most people in Tallahassee, northern Florida, basically anything north of, I want to say, West Palm Beach, very, very conservative. So they thought, you know, marijuana was for, you know, potheads. I mean, people that just want to sit around all day and smoke and not do anything with their lives. And so she put a different face to it. And there are other people who have been, you know, utilizing marijuana as medicine for many, many, many years. But I think that her faith and her situation and her plight put this, you know, innocence to the marijuana and saying like, oh, okay, yeah, this does actually do something because a little girl is not going to smoke for, you know, recreational purposes. She's only smoking because she needs it and you see the effect that it has on her. And you see that it's positive. So I definitely think that she's going to have a long-lasting legacy. And everybody should be very thankful to her mom. I mean, you know, I know parents fight for their children. But she's really, like, you know, they probably need to name a strain after her mother as well. Because if she didn't push the issue, then we probably wouldn't have it passed in Florida. Well, that's such a strong message, Dion, and uh, you know our, our hearts are definitely heavy today thinking about her legacy um, 
you know, it's 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 been a pleasure to uh, to get you on the Hoban Minute to talk about all of these all of these important topics and issues um, that any any operator in the cannabis space, but sp- specifically business owners, uh, need to think about. We, we can't wait to uh, have you on again, and, and you stay safe down there in Florida. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure as well. Thanks, Dan. We hope to see you soon. Yes, you will. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hoban Minutes special series on coronavirus and cannabis. You can head on over to hoban.law for more information on this podcast or the Hoban Law Group. If you have any ideas for subjects that we should be covering or any questions you want to pose to, to Bob or myself, shoot us an email at media at hoban.law. And stay tuned for the next episode on this special series, Coronavirus and Cannabis. <laughs>